You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Hang around after the sermon for more information about Mission Ridge Church. Sermon notes for this message or any of our other messages can be found through our website, missionridge.church. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy the message. Well, uh, I am excited to spend the first quarter of this year in the, in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to spend seven weeks talking about parables. We do a parable series every year. You maybe remember this graphic uh, that's a work of art by uh, one Logan Daly. Um, yes, there are two bulls up there, in case you were wondering. Parables. Uh, so we'll spend seven weeks uh, in, in the book of Mark, and then we will spend... Uh, uh, looking at parables, I'm sorry, we're going to spend seven weeks in the book of Mark looking at parables, and there are, there are 10 parables. And like I said, every year for the last few years, we've started going through parables, and and I don't remember the number, there's uh, 30 some odd parables throughout all the scriptures, uh, through Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke, the three gospels, uh, synoptic gospels. And, uh, and so we have a tendency to spend about six, seven weeks each year. And this year we're, we're looking and we're going, you know what? We have not touched Mark. We have not touched the parables of Mark. There are 10 of them. And so we're going to cover those. And then we had intended on uh, going in through the narrative of Mark later on this year. And we're just going to just con- right up through Easter, uh, just stick with Mark. So we'll look at the parables and consider what they say to us, and then we will look at the Gospels. Uh, Mark has 10 parables. There's one parable uh, of his 10 that are only in Mark. And so I'm excited to explore that parable in the midst of the other parables and see what Mark's message is. Now, when we talk about the other nine parables, they are, uh, some are found in Matthew, some are uh, found in Luke, uh, some are found in all three of the synoptic gospels. And people will wonder why, why are these parables told in different ways? There's a couple theories on, on why that's true. Uh, one theory is that there was a Q source document, that, that there was a document that the disciples uh, put together uh, as they were going along, probably within at least within a, f- a few years of his death, burial, and resurrection. And that source document became the uh, jumping off point for each of the gospel writers. Uh, that's a possibility. Um, the other possibility is that Jesus told parables in different ways at different times, depending on the audience that he was dealing with. Uh, I have a tendency to, th- to think that both of these are, are, are true, uh, you, you've probably told a story a little differently before, depending on your audience, uh, whether, whether it was a joke or a story about your life. Uh, you may have told different aspects of that story in, in different ways because of, because of the audience, whether uh, there's a language barrier, you're talking to a little kid versus, uh, you know, 
a friend that, that, that's your age, whatever the case may be. But I believe that there's probably a Q source document and that Jesus told the parables in different ways at different times. Because I also believe that, that uh, if I was a disciple, that I would not be changing the words of Jesus just to match my agenda, right? I wouldn't be changing a word here or there. Well, I wish Jesus would have said it this way because that would really help what I'm trying to get across in this book. Now, these gospels are, they have different audiences and we have to pay attention to that. Mark is written to a Roman audience. The three types of audiences that, that the gospels uh, address are, are Jewish audiences. Matthew is very Jewish. Um, and then Mark is very Roman and John is uh, very Greek, is a very Greek audience uh, to the Asia Minor, where the Greek influence was really predominant. So uh, we'll talk more about what this means, why, why it's important to pay attention to uh, the audience as we, as we go. It is important to note that Jesus spoke predominantly to a Jewish audience. So, so Jesus is going to use Jewish rabbinical tools. And we, and we talk about this each year when we have this series. We have um, these definitions in your bulletin. I won't go as deep as the bulletin does on, on, uh, on this tool, this Pardes uh, interpretive tool. But uh, there's four levels of interpretation, and the first level is the Peshat level. This is probably the level of interpretation that you are most used to. It's the, when you read it, it's the basic, on the surface, what you see is what you see, the Peshat level of interpretation. And any other interpretation, all the other levels of interpretation, as it were, are dependent upon the Peshat level of interpretation. We don't get to build a foundation with the Peshat level and then go do something else with the other levels of interpretation. They, they depend on each other. They depend on this Peshat level. Uh, the next level is called Remez. And actually Remez is really just a gateway actually to, to uh, the third level. Um, but a Remez is, is a hint. Jesus is going to hint at something in his story that will connect to the Old Testament scriptures. He's going to leave hints. Uh, we do this all the time. We, we use memes to hint at something. And by dropping a meme, we're bringing in this larger conversation. Uh, I did this a couple of weeks ago when I talked about uh, Tina Turner. I said, what's love got to do with it? And if, you, and if you grew up with that song, you know that the 80s love was this big, huge question and most of pop culture got it wrong right? And I just, I brought that whole pop culture conversation into my conversation by just dropping that one line of that song, what does love got to do with it? Jesus is going to do the same thing in his stories. And as we go through these stories, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know what's happening, where and when. So if this is the first time hearing about this, don't worry, we'll, we'll take you on a journey. The next level of interpretation is called drash. It means to inquire 
or to seek. And that's, and that's where you, you take that remez and you go look at the Old Testament. You go find that story or those stories or those passages or, you know, you look in Isaiah and go, what does Isaiah say about this? And, and you know, the, the disciples were very well connected to the Old Testament, way more connected to it than we are as a culture. And so when Jesus would drop these hints, they would connect to the story right away, I believe, but then they'd have to go search it out. And we will go through that process together. And then the final level of interpretation is, is called sowed. So the word sowed means secret or mystery. And this is really something that it's not so much about interpretation. It's really, it's something that God says to you through his Holy Spirit about that passage. I don't know if you've ever read a, you're reading your Bible and you're reading a passage for the umpteenth time. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow, that's amazing. Like you've read it a hundred times. And, but this particular time, God gets a hold of you and says something to you. And you're like, oh, wow, this is life-changing. And, and it, that's, the, that's the work of the Holy Spirit that is, that is sowed. Uh, an example of this is when Peter makes his great confession of who Jesus is. And Jesus says, uh, man did not reveal this to you, but God did. That's a Holy Spirit moment. Now, why, why do we go through the parables? So what? Right? I mean, they're, they're stories. Cool. Jesus told some stories. What's that got to do with, with me here and now? Jesus said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus came with this kingdom message and he says, folks, we got to live differently. And the parables tell us how. The parables are there to, how, to tell us how to live for this kingdom that is here and now. This kingdom is a precursor to heaven, but we're not waiting till heaven before we start living for that kingdom. And the parables tell us how. So uh, to set the stage for this week's parable, it's actually just a, a, a two verse parable. Uh, we'll start in Mark 2, verse 18. And we're told this, uh, John's disciples, this is uh, John the Baptist, his disciples, and the Pharisees, they were fasting. And they came and said to Jesus, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Maybe you've seen in the church world, Sometimes we get hung up on why people do things or don't do things like we do them. Have you ever experienced that? <laughs> That's what's going on here. Jesus said to them, while the bridegroom is with them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot fast, can they? So long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. 
So, so this is just the precursor. This is just setting us up for the actual parable. Disciples of John and the Pharisees, these are religious, religious dudes. They come up to Jesus. Why aren't your disciples fasting? By implication, why aren't you fasting? Uh, that's, uh, you know, they don't really accuse Jesus, but they are. And, uh, and Jesus says, well, the bridegroom is here. Now we'll come back to this and talk about what this means. What does he mean by this? I will tell you this, uh, in that culture, uh, at that time, a wedding would last seven days. And if you were fasting for some reason, but you were going to show up to a wedding, it was a big no-no to show up that wedding fasting. Like you would break your fast during the wedding and then get back to your fast more often than not. Culturally, uh, they, don't, they don't fast for weddings and they don't fast on Sabbath unless it's the Day of Atonement. And, oh, by the way, there's only one biblically commanded fast and that is the Day of Atonement. So, and now our parable, our two-verse parable. I love this little guy. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Again, Jesus is talking about why, or why his disciples are not fasting. Otherwise, the patch pulls away from it and the new from the old and a worse tear results. <laughs> what? No one puts new wine into old wineskin. Jesus, we're... <laughs> Where are you going? Uh, otherwise, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is lost and the skins as well. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. Isn't that helpful? Isn't that helpful? I mean, Jesus goes full home ec on his folks, right? He's like, let's talk about sewing and food storage. And that will tell you why you should be not fasting during this time. What in the world is going on here? Uh, you know, when the scriptures tell you something and it's a head scratcher, like what does food and garments and wineskin have to do with fasting? That might be the remez. Jesus might be hinting something. He may want to connect his story to the Old Testament. And so don't run past those passages where you're like, what in the world is that supposed to mean? Like, like wrestle with that. Search it out. L look into it. Ask good questions. Fortunately, there is a story. Jesus is good, right? There, there is a story uh, found in jo uh, Joshua chapter 9. Now, Joshua chapter 9, the Israelites are, are moving into the promised land. And, and they were told at the end of Exodus 23, make no covenants with the people of the land. You, they can't live with you. If they live with you, if you make a covenant with them, they will cause you to sin. That was a commandment of God. 
and the Gibeonites is one of the groups of people that lived within the land. They lived uh, within miles of Jerusalem and they just conquered Jericho and I. So if you could picture like they're heading towards Jerusalem, they're heading in the direction of the Gibeonites. When the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and I, they also acted craftily and set out envoys and took worn out sacks on their donkeys and wineskins worn out and torn and mended and worn out and patched sandals on their feet and worn out clothes on themselves. And all the bread of their provision was dry and had been crumbled. They're going on like a a 30 mile journey, but they're acting like it's a 3000 mile journey. They went to Joshua to the camp of Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, we have come from a far country. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. And again, God, at the end of Genesis or Exodus 23, if you're, if you're reading that far along in Exodus, you read it this morning. I did. Uh, he says, God says, make no covenants with the people of the land. And the men of Israel said to the Hivites, perhaps you are living within our land. How then shall we make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, we are your servants. They're not even answering the question. (laughs) Then Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? They said to him, your servants have come from a very far country because of the fame of the Lord your God. Now, now this part I believe, and most lies have an element of truth. Like they, God's fame had reached their ears. They, they are paying attention to how God is dealing with Israel and dealing with Israel's enemies. For we have heard the report of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon, king of Heshbon, and to Og, king of Bashan, who was at Ashtaroth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us like, everybody's like, we got to do something. What God is doing is gaining so much notoriety that people are like, we have to do something. And so they said, take provisions in your hand for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Now then make a covenant with us. They are hard and fast on this covenant idea. This is our, this our bread was warm when we took it for our provisions out of the houses on the days that we left to come to you. But now behold, it is dry and has become crumbled. These wineskins, which were filled were new and behold, they are torn. And these are clothes and our sandals are worn out because of the very long journey. Again, Jesus is connecting his teaching on fasting to this story. Why? Why? 
Let's look at this last verse. So the men of Israel took some of their provisions and did not ask for the counsel of the Lord. And that last line probably tells us what Jesus is doing here. Why did he go home back on his people? On the people questioning him. If you're going to fast, don't put on a show. Don't put on a show. Don't act like you're doing something when you're not. Don't, don't look one way externally and look another way internally. When you're doing whatever religious acts that you're doing, don't look one way externally so that people will take notice of you. But internally, where God is looking, have it look very different. The, the drash, the drash is seek the Lord's counsel when you fast. Like if you're going to fast, great. If you're going to pray, awesome. If you're going to worship, do that. But seek the Lord's counsel. Now, I don't know what your experience is with fasting, uh, my experience is fasting doesn't go fast. And uh, I think we need a different word. Just, just my opinion. Uh, and, and, you know, fasting for me, like there's been times where fasting, like it was a smashing success. I was seeking the Lord's counsel and I, and I got it. And it was amazing. And then there are other times where I was just so frustrated and rah, 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 rah. And, and, like, I don't know. I just, you know, I feel like I'm just going through the motions. Um, my, my, my prayer life, the same. It, it, it ebbs and flows. There, there are times where, man, I'm just like, I'm excited to seek God's face. But then there's other times where, and, you know, like I, I notice some, as I, like, if you were to map, if you were to map it out, like my prayer life kind of goes through like this sine sine wave over the year, not, not within a few days necessarily, but over the year, like there's sometimes where it feels like it's so easy to pray. Like I could spend some time praying. And then there's other times where it's like, man, this seems like work. Like wh why is it so hard? And, and I have to be careful when it's harder because I could put on a show. I could put on a show. And that's just not who we are as a church. We're not interested in putting on a show. I'm not going to act like everything's great when it's not. Because that is so dangerous. That is so dangerous. God is interested in real relationship. He's interested in real relationship. Not, not, not that, not that people walking by, they notice, oh, Rob, he's spiritual. Man, have you noticed how spiritual that pastor is? Woo. God wants the real Rob. Warts and all. If I had a wart. 
I got words. I got spiritual words. There's things that, uh, man, I have to come into his presence sometimes and say, this is true of me. And I don't want to say it's true, but I know that he knows everything. And so if I'm going to be real with him, I have to be real about myself. Like, this is true of me. I can't not be like a Gibbonite where I'm, where I'm telling half-truths, where I'm kind of telling the truth, where I'm coming in with my own agenda, seeing if I could just force my agenda. The Lord desires real relationship with you. Uh, it makes me think about we're just brand new into to, uh, 2023. And uh, oftentimes this time of the year, we, re- we reflect back on the previous year and we're like, oh, can't do that again. So let's make some resolutions, right? Uh, I'm trying to remember how long resolu- the average resolution lasts. I think it's like 13 days or something, <laughs> something amazing like that. But, you know, uh, sometimes we make resolutions to improve our health, uh, to pay down debt, to try to be happier in general, uh, lose weight, uh, eat better, maybe work out more, save money. Question is, is, are you seeking the counsel of the Lord when you're making those resolutions? Is, does he get to define what shapes your future? What shapes how you will live going forward? Does he get to be part of that? And so that's the remez, that's the, that's the drosh. Let's go back to the Peshat. Let's go back to the Peshat level. The, when you read through this, I, and I love this passage. I've thought about this passage a lot when it comes to fasting. Um, but I want to start off with the bridegroom. Let's talk about the bridegroom. Why is that important? I uh, Jesus is saying to his listeners, don't miss out on who's standing in front of you. Don't miss out on who this Jesus is. Don't miss out on that. You know, some people, they, they, think, uh, they think Jesus was a prophet. There's many prophets. They think he was a good teacher. Uh, the, the rabbis, the Jewish rabbis of today, they'll tell you that Jesus was a brilliant teacher, and they stopped there. Many of them stopped there. Uh, They'll say he's a good man. Yep, he's a good man. Uh, Did you know that the Jews speak of Mount Sinai as their wedding day? Mount Sinai, when they show up and, 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 and God's, at the mountaintop, they call that the hoopa. Uh, the hoopa is the thing that they get married under. Um, they call that the hoopa. And, and they call Tor the, their gift. It's their gift from God on their wedding day. But then you go to the book of Hosea. And Hosea was a prophet. And he was told to, to go marry a, a prostitute. I was wondering what I was going to do if your son was in here. (laughs) 
Like, how do I clean this up? Uh, Hosea was told to go marry a prostitute. And so the, the prophet, he does that. He marries a prostitute. And, and, then, and then the proclamation comes and says, Israel, you've been a prostitute. You've chased after foreign men. And, and, and then uh, Gomer, his, his wife, um, she has some children, but then she leaves him and she goes back to her harlotry, to her prostitution. And God tells him to go back, tells Hosea, go, go, go pursue her again, because this is the kind of God that I am. I'm, I'm going to pursue you over and over and over again. And I have experienced this in my life. God has pursued me when I have chased after false gods. Over and over and over again, I've done that and God has pursued me. Jesus says, I am here, Israel, to reestablish our marital covenant. I'm here to remarry you, and you're not going to fast during this time if you're going to recognize who I am. And his disciples did. And his disciples did. Over and over and over again, Jesus is saying to the people of Israel, I am your king. And I am God. He's going to make, we're going to see this throughout Mark. This is part of the narrative. Don't miss who Jesus is. Let's talk about the Bashat of the new patch and the old clothes. What is Jesus doing there? Uh, Jim Putman used to love to say, and he probably still says this, you can't just sprinkle a little Jesus into your life and think it's going to change everything. Jesus is not some kind of additive like garlic to your meal. A little salt and pepper, a little paprika, a little, little spice. Just spice, this is spice up our, this is spice up our life a little bit and we'll add a little bit of Jesus. Jesus is not just a patch. He's not just an add-on to fix your life. A little bit of Jesus in your life is dangerous. It's dangerous. I Spiritually, it puts you with a great big bullseye on your back because the enemy loves to destroy people that kind of want to add Jesus to their life. Loves to do that. It's, spiritually, it's hard enough when we say absolutely Everything, anything you want, Lord, I'm, I'm in. It's hard enough. But you try to just add a little bit of Jesus to your life, know that this is a spiritual reality. This world is spiritual. This is a spiritual conversation. And adding just a little bit of Jesus is dangerous. It's dangerous. Because the enemy, he loves people that 
want to play with Jesus and want to just add a little bit to their life. Paul says this, in reference to your former manner of life, lay aside the old self. Like literally, he's talking about getting undressed and then getting dressed again. Lay aside your old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self. Put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. We can't just, we can't just add a little patch and, 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 and deal with, you know, whatever problem we're trying to deal with because that's the thing that's out in front of us. In this kingdom, people should see Christ in who you are and what you do. And then the Peshat of the new wine and old wineskins. Wine, when it comes in, new wine, when it comes in, it's going to look to change those wineskins. It's as it ferments, it's going to want to cause those wineskins to stretch and grow and move. And old wineskins will just burst. The people hearing this parable, those who, who are unwilling to change, be changed by what Jesus was doing, they just couldn't handle it. They may have been religious. They may have been sincere about wanting God, but they were unwilling to change. The, the God, the God wanted to do something new. Jesus, Jesus was bringing a kingdom message, and we're going to see this as we go over these 14 weeks. He's bringing a kingdom message, but you know what? There wasn't a person standing that understood what kingdom meant before Jesus came. Every one of them had to change their mind. Every one of them had to redefine their lives based off of who Jesus was and what he was about. Wine changes wineskins. And he doesn't say you have to be a new wineskin. He just says you have to be a fresh wineskin. You have to be willing to be changed by who Jesus is and what he's about. And are you flexible enough for him to change you? Are you flexible enough for him to be able to change you? When you come to Jesus, you must be willing to take in everything he has for you. Not just some of it. Because he'll burst your bubble. <laughs> he'll burst your bubble. When you, will you be changed by this king you've invited into your life, will you be changed by him? Will, will he change your politics forever? Will he change your beliefs forever? Will he change your conduct forever? Will he change your passions forever? What you live for, will he change those things? Or will you hang on to some of those things because it's always been that way. It's what my family grew up with. Guarantee you that the disciples, their beliefs, they changed. You know what the big struggle for the Jews today is? 
They don't believe that God could come in the flesh. They believe that that's idolatry. Uh, reading this morning, and I, I don't know if I've ever seen this before, but uh, and I think it's Exodus 23, could be 24. The elders go up onto the mountain and they eat dinner with God. Why is it so amazing that God came in the flesh? They saw him. They saw something worth seeing. He's not just a presence. They physically ate with God. I'm longing for that day when I get to do the exact same thing, sit in his presence Uh, he, he changed their politics. They kept trying to change his politics and that didn't work. Uh, his kingdom supersedes every kingdom. His kingdom is first and foremost. He should 100% define our politics. 100%. 100%. And I'm not talking about making us vote differently. I, I Vote the way you vote. But... See politics the way Jesus sees them. See politicians the way Jesus sees them. Will you let him change you? Your conduct. This was maybe the hardest part for me. 20 plus years ago. Spiritual young man. Early 20s. Man, I honestly, I was afraid that Jesus was going to come back on that day. There are so many days where I'm like, if he comes back on this day, I am toast. I am such, (laughs) it would not be good for Jesus to come back today because I don't want to stop doing, if if you want those stories, sit down with me over coffee, maybe some other drink, I'll do that with you. Um... I, there were certain things that I didn't want to change about my conduct. And your passions, what you live for, what drives you, where you're going, what your 2023 and beyond will look like. So these are the, these are the things that Jesus is teaching us about fasting, that, that as we ask him, as we invite him in, as we seek his counsel? Are we willing to be changed? Is it going to change our conduct? Is it going to change the way we live? Or is it just a, just another additive? Like I'll just, I'm going to add a little bit of fasting to my life. I'm going to add a little, I'm going to, I'm going to just take a patch. I'm going to just try to cover up this one glaring problem. You know, these kids, they buy their jeans, right? Pre-torn. <laughs> I'm like, doesn't your parents buy you jeans? <laughs> you need some unshrunk cloth. That's what you need. <laughs> but as you fast, as you seek the counsel of the Lord, whether that's through prayer or fasting or through your worship or, or, or Bible study, as you seek the counsel of the Lord, is he, are you going to let him change you? Or are you so rigid... 
that there's no benefit? Are you so inflexible that there's no movement? And you're doing the same things the same way you did last year and the year before that and the year before that and the year before that. We are to grow up spiritually and then help others do the same. And then we come to communion. And usually we use 1 Corinthians to talk about communion. And, and uh, brother, we, we pass out the elements for us. Usually we use 1 Corinthians 11 to, to talk through communion. But I thought this week, and maybe during the series, we'd use Mark chapter 14, because this is Mark's narrative. But Jesus is offering us bread and offering us the fruit of the cup as a reminder that when we take these things in, that he wants to be a part of our lives, a part of our world. He wants to be God with us. And it's a reminder of our commitment to be changed. Not, not from a, not from a shame standpoint, because Christ takes away our shame. Thank you. Appreciate you. But from just a, a, a heart's intent, warts and all, that I'm going to move forward, that I'm going to be flexible enough, I'm going to allow him to change me, that he's not just an addition, but he is my everything. And so Mark tells us that while they were eating, he took some bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them. He said, take it. This is my body. Let's take part of his body together. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Let's remember, let's take together what Jesus has provided. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a church focused on relational discipleship and located in Missoula, Montana. If you are in the Missoula area, we would love to have you come and join us for worship. Service times, location, and all kinds of other fun stuff can be found on our website, missionridge.church. You can connect with Mission Ridge Church through Facebook or Instagram. So give us a like or follow. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church give. We'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for tuning in.